with Disney crowds, (laughs) me to the punchline. Half of them already know the joke. You know, they can do the joke before I do the joke. (laughs) They probably have 15 minutes of stuff that's better than mine if they want. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And Sam, I don't know if I've been this excited for an episode in, oh in my a God. while. I mean, Lynn, Lynn Testa coming on to talk about the Star Cruiser was was awesome, but we're super excited to welcome on a an entertainer that we saw on board our one of our recent Disney cruises, and he was so funny, and just we had so much fun watching his show. Uh, he is a ventriloquist, comedian, I'll dare say musician as well, a musical act. And so I want to welcome Taylor Mason to the show. Welcome, Taylor. Brian and Sam, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm thrilled. And to follow um, the Star Cruiser, is that's a huge honor as far as I'm concerned. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of opening act. I'm closing for them. So that's really good. It, it will be hard to be. Lynn, was, uh, when Lynn went on as Hank lonely as a play on Han Solo. And so had quite the quite the background there. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, Taylor, you are an entertainer and we saw you on board Disney Cruise Line, but we, we usually ask folks for their sort of cruising background, Disney background. But I, I want to ask you just slightly differently, what's your background in entertaining and how did you get involved in kind of cruise line entertaining? Well, so first thing is I've been, I've never really had a job. So I've done I've been uh, an entertainer or comedian, writer, musician, musical director, ventriloquist, whatever. You know, I can't seem to hold a job. <laughs> were you a wait? Were you a waiter too? At some point, oh, I was. I was. I was. I was a waiter. Actually, if you're really interested, I wrote a book. It's called Irreversible by Taylor Mason. You can get it. It's got great reviews, and it's kind of my memoir. And it talks about all this stuff. But I was a waiter. <laughs> uh, right out of college, believe it or not. And here's the whole story on that. I was a waiter right out of college. My, I had moved from Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, where I went to college, undergrad, and I moved in with my aunt and uncle. I was very the close. The Fighting Illini. Yes, I went to school. I was, a, I was uh, a member of the Fighting Illini football team, as a matter of fact. And I went to uh, University of Illinois, undergrad, and then graduated. And I was working for a, an Italian uh, catering company in Chicago called Marchetti's. And uh, I was at a wedding or something, and it was in one of those huge homes near north side suburbs of Chicago, big windows that looked out over Lake Michigan, and there's a piano in the middle of this ballroom. And I'm wearing my uh, white open-collar shirt, black vest, black pants, black shoes, and I'm carrying a tray of sherbet around in those little <laughs> glasses that, you know, little like glass things. They look like triangles with sherbet inside. And so I go into this room. There's nobody there. There's a big grand piano. So I sit down and started playing. And pretty soon I've got a crowd of people around. And after I played for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes, a guy gives me his card, presses his business card in my hand and says, call me Monday morning. His name was Arnie Morton. He had a steakhouse called Arnie's on Rush Street in Chicago. And I played piano bar for three or four months. And that led to getting a a piano musical director job at the Second City Theater in Chicago. Oh, wow. And my wife was an actress and producer, and she worked at the Second City. We got married a couple of years later. And then after that, my career, I guess, I just started doing all sorts of stuff. But that's pretty much how I got started musically. 
um, doing what I do. I, I went, I had an audition at the second city to be an actor. They were doing this thing called, uh, four through the door, five, th- three through the, three through the door. I think it is where you're supposed to come out through this door on stage as three different characters. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I'd never done anything. I, you know, I'd taken a couple of, I, I think, I, I think I'd taken two acting classes. And so now I'm thrust into this, uh, yeah, crazy position. improv. Yeah. You know, exactly. And if you know improv, you know, it's a skill. It's, it's not, it's really hard. It. It's really it hard. And you have to listen, which I'm not good at. And you, <laughs> have, to, you have to be nice to other people. And, you know, not, <laughs> not, you know, I'm used to just being the star and everything about me. So now you're with this other person. Um, Sam, have you done, have you done improvisation acting? I've done, yeah, some of it. I used to do musical theater um, as a kid and as a teenager. And one of the things that we would do as a part of our acting exercises was a lot of improv in addition to doing, you know, scripted theater and whatnot. So I have done it not in a really long time and never on any kind of professional level, but it's really hard because as you said, you have to really listen. You have to completely think on your feet. Now I am by profession, a trial lawyer. So I have to do that also. So there is kind of a a connection there between my career and... There's a definite correlation there. So Taylor, I'm curious, when we saw your show, you mentioned, and I think I was just looking at your book online that you mentioned, and you you sort of bill it as like, when I figured out, I enjoyed talking to a sock or something along those lines. (laughs) So how did you get get into ventriloquism? You you had sort of a story you told uh, at the show we saw, but how did you get into it? So the whole, here's the whole background to everything. So my parents uh, grew up in the 1930s, both my parents. And the most popular act on the radio when my parents were children was Edgar Bergen with his sidekick, uh, Charlie McCarthy. And he also had Effie Klinker and Mortimer Snurd, which were, you know, his three ventriloquists, for lack of a better word, puppets. And he did like short little sitcoms on the Chase Sanborn hour with these, with, and most of them starring Charlie McCarthy. W.C. Fields would often come on the show as well. And of course, Charlie McCarthy was made out of wood and W.C. Fields would have these, you know, these insult spars like Don Rickles with the, with the, with Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> and it was very, but you have to understand that during the 1930s, this was, it was theater of the mind. Everybody's broke. Um, and my father's family had a big console radio, the size of a bureau, you know, a huge desk of drawers in the living room. My mother's family did, couldn't afford a radio. And they would go down the street to her aunt's house, where basically the entire street would come in on Sunday evenings to listen to the Chase Sanborn Hour with Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen. So my parents were both Edgar Bergen fans, and they met in radio. My mother went to the University of Illinois. She wanted to be a radio writer, and uh, she had an uncle who uh, gave her the money to go to the University of Illinois. And then she convinced my dad to go, met my dad and uh, convinced him to go to the University of Illinois, which he did. They met at a radio station in Decatur, Illinois called WSOI, the soybean capital of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very famous. So, and so when I was a little boy, my, one of my favorite television shows was Sherry Lewis. She had a, a sock on her hand and my father was a farm news broadcaster on the radio. Uh, lamb chop. She had lamb chop. So you put all the pieces together. And my mom used to, this, the story that I always tell is my mom used to roll up socks into a sock ball. And then when you would open your drawer in the morning, your sock drawer, 
just the way the socks had been rolled, they would look like there was a smile, the, the whole the opening of one of the socks. And I've turned that into a whole, in my live act, I've turned that into a whole routine. But the truth is, I would look in there and it looked like the socks were smiling. Just put two and two together. Sherry Lewis has a sock on her hand. It's a farm animal. My dad's a farm news broadcaster. Um, the sock is smiling. So I put the sock on my hand. My grandmother was a seamstress. So one time she put like hair, you know, and buttons for eyes. I, I remember she had taken big buttons and then, um, and I would run around this JC Penny in Ottawa, Illinois with a sock in my hand. And my father then brought home one day a plastic headed slot jaw puppet that looked like Charlie McCarthy. And it was, it was, and of course, years later, I, I, my dad passed away before I could ask him about this, but it became a bonding thing for he and I. We rebuilt, we took the puppet apart and rebuilt it because it was very hard to operate the mouth and the body was just a sock. But my dad rebuilt it, got a lathe and some wood and built like shoulders and a body. And we got it a little suit and, and made a string in the back of the neck where I could pull down uh, the mouth and the slot jaw mouth would, would open. And now the embarrassing story about that is uh, it's not all... <laughs> It's not all like it was a fantasy. The first show that I did, I had planned a show for about a year, maybe eight months. How old are, how old are you? I'm probably 12 at the time. So I probably got a puppet when I was 11. So I'm in, so I'm in sixth or seventh grade. I guess it was in seventh grade. And I'm going to come out of the closet now with my ventriloquist dummy. I've got <laughs> it put together. One of the jokes is I say to the puppet, if I were your father, I'd give you poison. And the puppet says, if you were my father, I'd take the poison. That, that's one of my, <laughs> I think that might have been my closer. <laughs> so I get to the bus stop to go to Hinsdale Junior High. And I'm, I've got my, uh, it's the first day of school. So you, you don't have any books yet, right? It's just, you're standing, you're going to, you're going to go to uh, the junior high school. You're going to get your books, uh, find out your classes and all that. But I figure what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a show in my homeroom with my puppet. So I'm standing there with my, this bag, and Keith and Greg and Dean are there, these guys that are in eighth grade, you know, but they're all in the same street as me. And what's in the bag? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the bag. it's my ventriloquist puppet. You know, what? <laughs> you were the coolest kid on the block at that point, right? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so they say, oh, you're, you're not going to, I said, I'm going to perform in my homeroom. No, you're not. You're doing a show on the bus, they said. Uh, so, they say, oh yeah. They take me on the bus back by the emergency exit. So I had like, a little stage. Last area. row. <laughs> exactly. Got everybody to turn around and I did my show and it was one of the most humiliating things of my, oh, they had everybody just, you know, laughing hysterically, but not you know, laughing at me and uh, shout, oh, it was awful. It was, a, it was a, a defining moment in my life. But, you know, I, for whatever reason, I didn't give up. You know? Well, listen, if you can do that, you can, you can perform in front of anybody. Yeah, that, that, that seventh and eighth grade crowd can be pretty, they can, and especially if they know you, you know, it was, it was all, my, all my friends and people that, from the, the neighborhood riding. And it was like a 15 minute ride. So it was a long, it, that was a long, uh, long bus ride. Do you still have any of those original puppets, Taylor? I'm just curious. No, I don't have. I, I, you know, I don't. When I graduated from college from the University of Illinois, parents, they give their kid a car or they, they give them a trip somewhere 
or some money. My dad gave me a new ventriloquist figure found <laughs> in Chicago at this shop called Frank Marshall's Magic Shop. Frank Marshall is an institution to people in the Midwest in magic and ventriloquism. The Marshall brothers actually built the original Charlie McCarthy for Edgar Bergen. And he was a great magician and he did a, um, an act that was similar to Senor Wences. So my dad had found this real, it was made out of wood. It was made by a na- man named Robert Orban, who was from Michigan, who was not a ventriloquist, but had spent his life, he was an electrician or something, but his hobby was, was building ventriloquist figures. And he built this one that my dad bought. And I used that. It was uh, kind of a, a balsa wood and composite, but a classic, you know, hard, Kind of not blockheaded, but you know that kind of uh, typical ventriloquist dummy shape with a slot jaw. Um, it was much bigger than the plastic one that I had used when I was in college. By the time I got to college, I was using that little plastic puppet, and I was doing shows at the University of Illinois all the time. I mean, my last two years of college, I was booked almost every weekend doing shows at fraternity parties, sorority parties, the functions, opening act for God knows how many people at the auditorium, and. Um, but I did it all with that little tiny plastic-headed puppet. So th- my dad gives me this uh, large, like I said, wooden-headed figure. And I used that, honestly, from probably for the next 10 years until uh, I kind of... It, I, somebody had told me about these soft, the soft figures. And uh, I went and to a workshop done by a woman named Verna Finley, who was a protege of Jim Henson with the Muppets. And she was building these magnificent soft-headed figures. And I started purchasing those. And then uh, the ones I purchase now are from a woman named Marianne Taylor, who worked with Verna Finley. And she does, what they do is basically they do exactly what you, you kind of draw a picture and they build what you want. Oh, so you're you're con- you're conceiving of then the the puppets that you're using. Uh, you're not just sort of you're not going in and looking on the shelf and trying to find one that fits what you want. You're actually uh, you know conceiving them. Well, let's see. It, it works two ways. First, that's the best way, and so the the one that is Romeo is built kind of to spec. But Paco, Ramon, um, the Penguin Zero, those are all mass produced by a company out in California called Folk Madison. And the reason I use those is because I had been touring. This is another long story, but I toured with this gospel band, I, I don't, musicians called Homecoming Artists, and we were playing these big arenas. I mean, 20,000 seaters. So I was selling pig puppets. I, the first time I went and did a show, <laughs> they, had me, they had me on a big screen TV. And at the end of my performance, I must have had 500 people come up to me and say, I want to buy one of your pig puppets. So I immediately then contacted a company in California called Folk Manus. They're lovely people. And for probably 10 years, well, not that long, probably five years, they, they sold me, I don't know how many, thousands of pig puppets. And I, would, I went around and played all the big arenas. You know, in California, out in Los Angeles, we played um, the Anaheim, where the Anaheim Ducks play hockey. We played that arena. We played the San Francisco, the, the, where the Warriors play basketball. We played all the hockey and basketball arenas coast to coast. And I, Wait, so you're saying Paco and Ramon are not unique? No, they're not. They are, well, <laughs> now they are. And this is really wild because I'm the only one who's selling those puppets. So after a while, the people were like, well, wait a minute. The only person who's, who is buying these and selling these, because you're supposed to be selling them, you know, in stores. 
but I'm not. I'm just selling them after my live show. And so they discontinued. In fact, Paco is now online. Or, you know, I, I was getting like three bucks a pop. You know, now I think that they're 40. If you can find one, they're like $40 each. Oh my God. Oh, wow. So you got to look on eBay or something yeah, exactly. if you need a new puppet. If you can find them. Now I have backups, fortunately, for um, Paco and Ramon. You know, I like, to be honest with you, they've, they don't look anything like the original now. They've kind of morphed into, because they've been used so much. So they've kind of morphed into uh, really, you know, their characters are really defined for their live, for the live show. You know, Ramon is, you know, he's kind of, he's a shy, quiet, you know, he's, he's not as timid. Yeah, he's a little timid and, and intimidated by Paco. You know, Paco has been around the block. Paco has seen it all. Paco is knowing what to do. Paco is an attorney. He will mess with you, so don't even think about it. You know, so completely different entities, and their personalities have kind of grown into their physical pigness. The pigs, and you know, I they it's unbelievable. The um, well, all of them. I always say about all the the all my imaginary friends. They have more personality than a lot of people that I know. I love that. Disney people get that. You know, yeah. Because a fantastical character from your the edge of your imagination, you know, he has all these, they clearly have these these faults. You know, they're they're either really arrogant or they're they're super timid or um, they they don't listen, whatever it is that they that they mess with me, whatever it is that, that each one of them does. They all have their own little idiosyncrasies. Right. They stare at people. Yeah, exactly. They, the Paco is very, he can be very annoying, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's very, um, it, it allows your imagination. And what I think is really cool about it, you guys, is that for my show, adults can watch my show and not be bored. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these, these puppets, characters, muses, whatever you want to call them, my imaginary friends, have, they, are, they are pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're really interesting. They're really, they're really interesting, and I love the interplay with the audience. Uh, but not not just between you and the audience, but between your imaginary friends and the audience well, members. Yeah, and I, 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 Taylor, I had a question for you along these lines. Which is how do you how do you conceive of their personality? Like, like uh, how does that how do you develop these characters and their backgrounds? Okay, so for, um, Romeo has grown over time. And is now he doesn't you know he's he's always very current but doesn't know exactly who he is. So whatever he's trying to be, uh, he's trying to be the hippest, most interesting person in the room. But his IQ <laughs> it, it, it does not break a hundred. So he, <laughs> he doesn't know that he's saying things that are hypocritical and funny. The pigs were actually the pigs started as sock puppets. So Paco. Uh, started as a sock puppet who was a cab driver originally in Chicago, a sock puppet, um, spoke Spanish. And, and then he went to law school at some point? <laughs> well, of course he went to law school. As, and as an attorney, um, you know, the joke would be, of course, that a, a pig is an attorney. But the, the thing about Paco is he's smart. You know, he speaks two languages. He's very smart. He always He, he always has really good lines. And a lot of times, you know, it's a it's a little unnerving. I get a little jealous because he gets all the laughs, <laughs> the laughs. And Ramon at the same time started as a sock puppet. And what I would do, I would, this is when I was first starting out in my career 
doing stand-up comedy at a club called Zany's in Chicago, which was right down the street from the Second City Theater where I was working. So I was kind of moonlighting as a musical director at the Second City Theater and then doing stand-up comedy and ventriloquism at Zany's Comedy Club. And then that kind of, you know, then I'm, then I'm working as an improv actor sometimes at the, at the Second City Theater. But then I'm going down to Zany's Comedy Club and I'm playing the piano. So to break up all of that, I would do this ventriloquist act with the sock and I would do all sorts of stuff. You could take a sock puppet and you could put um, a wig on it and now it's a Rasta guy. <laughs> you know, a little coat on him, now he's a banker. And then put a yellow hat on him, now he's a taxi driver, you know, who uh, doesn't really know, the, you know, Paco the taxi driver. His, his name wasn't Paco at that time, it's Pedro. And Pedro was a taxi driver who worked in Chicago, but he didn't know where to go. So <laughs> I need to go to the train sta- union station. I don't, I don't know where that is, man. Okay, that's okay. I need to go to Soldier Field, the football stadium. Where is that? Well, how about can you get me to Northwestern? No, you know, he didn't know any directions at all. We, and but didn't <laughs> didn't care. And but and the biggest laugh he got was, where, "What are you doing now?" Uh, I'm going to college. Oh, really? What are you studying? I'm going to be a lawyer. That was the biggest thing. <laughs> and then he's going to be a lawyer. That was the, and then Paco became, uh, when I started touring with this gospel group, I needed to do something where I could sell puppets at the end of my show. And the pig became it. So that is where Paco first started. When I started working for Disney, it plays, you know, the, the ventriloquism and Disney are great together. They really go, they really go well together. And because people are, I always feel a kinship with everybody on the ship already. You know, they're, they're already into it. They get it. It's, you know, whether I'm in the theater, in the, you know, in front of 1,200 people or in one of the little lounges in front of a couple hundred people, it doesn't matter to me uh, the, because the, the whole concept of these imaginative, creative characters who uh, coming from the edge of your imagination and now being brought to life and making all these comments about um, topical stuff that's going on in the world, uh, going on immediately, talking to the audience, saying, you know, making remarks to people in the crowd, hoping that they're not going to get eaten, scared. You know, <laughs> Disney people on a cruise, all they do all day is eat. It's, it's harrowing for a pig. You know? <laughs> How did you get started on cruise lines? I mean, you you were working all these different all these different jobs. You're playing different theaters. Well, you're doing stand up and ventriloquism. Won, I, I'm looking at his bio. He run he won Star Search, Sam. So like, I mean, yeah, oh, that's he's, right. yeah, he, he's, he's playing arenas. So I'm wondering, yeah, what what attracted you into the cruise line entertainment side of things? Okay, so I did not. I really don't only work for one cruise line, and that's Disney. I don't do. I have done others, but it's sporadic. It, it's one of those things where it has to be. Either they're so desperate that they uh, have to have me, or I'm so desperate that I have to go. So it rarely <laughs> happened. And I'm not going to name other cruise lines, but I've worked on a couple of other ones, and they are. Everybody always treats me great. Audiences are nice, but you cannot beat Disney. You can't beat Disney for any of the basics of show business, which are number one, audience. By far, the Disney audiences. This is what I always say about Disney audiences. When you do TV talk shows. They have applause lights and laugh now signs. But, you know, with Disney crowds, pfft, you know, they <laughs> me to the pun side. Half of them already know the joke. You know, they can do the joke before I do the joke. <laughs> they probably have 15 minutes of stuff that's better than mine. If they want. <laughs> I always feel like Disney crowds, they're already in show business. Do you know what I mean? They're already there. Especially now when you've got video and everybody's got their own little movie with their their tablet or their phone. And Disney crowds, 
They're, I'm basically working for my peers. Okay, so w- uh, to start with that, it's the, the biggest cruise line I work for, the, and really the only line I work with. I wouldn't say I'm exclusive because I have on occasion, it's been a long time, but I do on occasion work for another cruise line. And I do get offers from other cruise lines on a regular basis. I pretty much stick with Disney. And one of the reasons is the audience. Another reason is that uh, the, the tech and the people that work in tech, stage management, everything, directors, whatever, lighting. If you want really, really <laughs> state-of-the-art tech for your show, then you're really going to have a difficult time beating a Disney cruise ship, which is basically a Broadway theater it's, or the forum in LA you know, or, the, or, the, or a TV studio on a cruise ship. And I, I know that on other cruise lines, they've, they've got great stuff. I'm not disparaging any, anybody else. I'm just saying when it comes to tech, you cannot beat sound, light, stage management on a Disney cruise ship. And then third, what Disney usually does, for example, right now, I'm booked every other week on the Disney fantasy, at least for right now, through October. Oh wow. oh, wow. Really, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it, it, it's not, that's not the way it always works, but um, I'm fortunate that I don't think I'm the only one. I think there's other, there, a lot of their other acts are doing the same thing, or I wouldn't have said anything. But um, there are, and the reason for that is coming out of the pandemic, you know, with the way things are now, a lot of the cruise acts, and if you can put that in parentheses, are dependent on audience participation. And the reason for that is because you've got, such a disparate group of people on the ship. So you need uh, jugglers having people come up on stage and they're doing, or magicians having people and they're touching stuff and hypnotists where they've got, everybody's touching and there's people sitting next to each other on the stage. Well, with the pandemic, obviously, the, all of that is out. So for me, as someone who is very comfortable standing and talking, or, or in this case, is with you guys, just babbling on and on. <laughs> <laughs> and the masks making your job really easy, of yeah, course, I, too. <laughs> mask, of course, as yes, as you. I'm glad you pointed that out, Sam. The the silver lining to the pandemic for a ventriloquist was the mask, because what a great thing! It just revolutionized ventriloquism. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm I, I'm going to become a, a wonderful masked ventriloquist. You know, immediately. Yeah, there's a market for it, Sam. I'm sure there's a market <laughs> for that now. I bet. Well, we need to take a quick pause in the action here to thank our amazing sponsors over at Touring Plans. We use Touring Plans Travel to book our own Disney vacations and just love, love, love our Touring Plans Travel Specialist. She waits on hold when we don't have time. She monitors cruise deals for us and rebooks to get us lower rates on some of the cruise lines that actually where the prices actually do go down, <laughs> like Disney Cruise Line. Uh, so she does watch those rates for us and rebook. She steers us toward cruises we would like and room categories and gives us suggestions. And so while we have our preferences, she's always there and available to help us out. And when we plan a parks vacation, it's just gotten so complicated of late with all the new Genie technology and everything. Like I-, I need to rely on someone who really understands what's going on. And she absolutely helps us there as well. So we love the folks over at Touring Plans. What we love most is that the philosophy of Touring Plans aligns with the philosophy of our own podcast. We're not out to sell you a Disney vacation. We're not travel agents ourselves. And so we just like to give our honest opinions and reviews. And I think you'll find the folks over at Touring Plans will also give you their honest opinions and reviews of different sailings and ships uh, and steer you toward the thing that they think is the best for your family. So remember, you don't pay anything extra to use a travel agent, especially when booking Disney vacations. Disney pays the travel agent at the time you travel. 
you're leaving money on the table. If you don't use a travel agent, you're certainly leaving expertise on the table if you don't. So we highly recommend the folks over at Touring Plans. Head over there, check them out, touringplans.com slash travel. Let them know the DCL Duo sent you to help support the show. And with that, back to our episode. You know, you know, Taylor, you raised you raised an interesting question that we had, which was just what has it been like? Because you know, we were we sailed with you on the the Wonder and caught your show both in the main theater and in the adult theater. And what struck us that was really interesting was uh, in the adult theater, smaller, more intimate venue, and so it, I think it felt a little little fuller. I think there was a little bit more energy between you and the crowd. But in that main theater, you know, it could feel kind of empty. I mean, now they're starting to fill it back up, but it could feel kind of empty. And is that hard? For you, are you getting the kind of audience energy as you know a performer that really helps you, you know, craft your show, do your show? Okay, first, here's here's what I always. This is how I freak people out when you get to the theater. You know, it's and on the wonder, it's a beautiful ship, and, and you know the theater is just great. I mean, the, the stage is very big, state of the art sound, light, everything. But you know, you, <laughs> you look out in the crowd. There's probably eight hundred to a thousand seats in that in that theater. And there's what, 250 people there. So this is what I always say. The cruise director and I, he'll, he, you know, the cruise director, whoever it is, will say, uh, what do you want for an introduction? And in that case, I'll always say, look, we've got a problem. If I have more puppets in my bag than people in the crowd, I don't, I don't go on. They tell you how many times that like, they just look at me like, seriously? No, I'm not serious. I'm kidding you. Here's my introduction. The other thing is, you guys, I have played to just about every kind of audience there is. So one time I got booked. This is my classic example. One time I got booked at the Hershey theme park for a gig and the money was great. And I, w- I asked the promoter for the, and this was probably 20 years ago. How, you know, why is this so much? And he said, oh, you'll, you'll see why it's so much when you get there. I get there. There is a train running like above me on a track like 10 feet <laughs> off my head. And I literally had to time punchlines to coincide with the, tra- the train, just to hit just before the train, because the train would come. And then I couldn't tell a joke for about eight seconds. And then the train would go by. And then I'd start my act again. And then you hear the train, ding, 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 coming. So I'd quickly get to a punchline, say the punchline, everybody laughed, the train would go through. And so <laughs> I have done, when you've done that, <laughs> a, a small crowd, because... To me, those those it's like what I was talking about before. Disney crowds are the best, and they are are very giving. And I, you know, I don't even notice. I do my hour show in the in the theater is for families. Obviously, when the room is full and there's all that energy and everybody feeding off you, and and when you can do audience participation and bring people on stage, that's a whole different thing. But in in the times we were living in, what you're talking about. For the last few months, and one of the reasons that I've, I've gotten these gigs is because I don't, I, in any way, shape, or form, I do not need uh, people on stage. I've got lots of jokes. I've got all these different figures, uh, uh, figures, and I've got the, my piano keyboard. So I'm very, very comfortable working for a small crowd, big crowd, all children, no children, um, special needs people, whatever. You know, I'm really, really. Nobody speaks English in the room. What do they speak? Russian. <laughs> We're gonna do. I'm gonna play a lot of Tchaikovsky. It's gonna work out great. There's always, there's always a way to make it work. Obviously, the adult shows, you know, for me are like a comedy club. I just what I do with those adult shows is I just turn the, the room into a comedy. And the way I do that is, let's say I'm supposed to do 30 minutes. Again, for me, 30 minutes. It's gonna. I can't. I can't. 
I can't welcome the audience in 30 minutes. I can't. (laughs) 30 minutes. I haven't even started my show yet. So uh, I go in there. A lot of times I do three acts in my in my set, whatever it is. You know, there's an opening where I talk to people in the crowd. Then I do some ventriloquism. Then I do some stand up. Then I do some music. Then I look at my watch. Oh, I've been up here 45 minutes and they've got, uh, you know, it's karaoke night. I got to get out of here. It's so funny you say that, Taylor, because that's exactly what we saw in the adult only performance on The Wonder with you. It was you did that exact order of things and you did go about 45 minutes, but we were all having so much fun and we started karaoke late. I did stay actually that night. I stayed for karaoke. (laughs) And another thing, you guys, is that um, I've been doing this so long that when I do this happens a lot. Family shows. So uh, you'll do your first family show. Right. Let's say you're doing two family shows one night and then you're doing an adult show the next night. And two nights later, you're going to do another adult show. So you're doing four total shows in three nights, two family shows on the same night and then two adult shows. What I found is I have to do almost four different shows because I'll do my family show for a couple hundred people in the theater. Then the second show. Well, now there's like 400 people in the, the why are there so many. Well, half the people from the first show came back because the kids say, say, we got to go back. Well, we can't do the same show because the, then the kids are going to say, we already saw this show. This is no good. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to do a whole different show. Then you go to do the adult show and I do the adult show and it's the same thing. I do the adult show and I know everybody knows you're supposed to do the same exact show for the second adult show, but it's the same thing. Half the crowd from the first show have come back. So I don't want to make them sit through the same show. So I don't. I come out, I do, uh, you know, I'm trying to think what, if I were doing a show tonight, for example, I would be writing jokes. You know, when you get back to the States, you guys don't worry. Uh, I know where to find $3 gas. Go to Taco Bell. (laughs) Uh, I'll write jokes for the moment and I'll have stuff just prepared just for that. And so I'm not doing the same exact show, either the family show or the adult show. And of course, now they're talking about, I think either this week or next week, they're going to allow people to come back on stage, do audience participation. And all that means for me is it's going to be really hard to keep my act, for example, in the, in the, adult, in the adult show less than, you know, it, it was we were just talking about, they've always got lots of stuff planned, but you don't want to go over because you don't want to step on toes of the other people and what they've got planned, whether it's karaoke night or match your mate night or whatever it is they've got planned. They've got, they have an organized, an organized schedule. And then in the theater, they don't want you going, doing an hour and 20 minute show because they got to switch the audience. They got to get the theater cleaned up. They, you know, they got to, right. People got to get to dinner and take their pictures and all that. There's a lot. There's a, yeah, there's a lot. So, but I, I, it's no problem. I'm not, I'm fortunate. I guess my point is this for me, with Disney, they, they've been very nice to me. And it, it's kind of a, it, for me, it's great because I'm allowed to work on a lot of material. I have a lot of material. I can cover the time, whatever it is. If it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes. <laughs> One time, this was years ago, they decided, you know what? We need, we, we're not using the upper, the deck, the outdoor deck enough. This was somebody's idea. We're going to do a show. We're going to do a comedy show by the pool. Well, oh my gosh. If they were doing it by the kids' pool. <laughs> <laughs> This is the loudest area on the ship. Oh my gosh. It was, it was, it was just mayhem. It was mayhem. So what can I do? I just, I yelled a lot, you know, I yelled a lot and the kids were of course having a blast jumping into the water. But I, I just remember the cruise director coming up to, and he said, you know what? 
we're not going to do this again. We're not, <laughs> not going to do and then, you had, and then you had to keep your imaginary friends dry from Which was cool. Although um, I had a bunch of jokes out of it. One of them was, um, they're all, all of them are made of, of soft foam which floats. So Romeo always says the only reason we get hired is because he, he doubles as a life preserver. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Taylor, I got, I got two more questions for you. One is as an entertainer, I am sure you've experienced just an audience that's gone wrong. And so I think it would just be really interesting to hear what was that audience for you? Like, if, do you have an experience that has burned into your mind as an audience that went really wrong for you? Brian, it's so funny that you would say, you know, because here, here's, I'll, I'll break that down in a couple of ways. Brian, you are, you are so right. And I think everybody who's, who has worked live in front of an audience, whether you're um, an actor, comedian, ventriloquist, musician, uh, whatever, magician, you've probably had nights that weren't perfect. Here's a couple of things. There's some shows where there's somebody who you're just having the be best show. You're just having... It's magic. You're kind of riding the waves and you're riding the crest of the waves and you look at your watch and you've done four minutes of material and you've been on stage for an hour. You know, it's, they're just, it's magic. There's one guy, one person, arms crossed, scowling, maybe three, four rows back somewhere. The person with them, maybe their wife or their husband, the person with them is having a great time, but they are miserable. And everybody around them is just, is, pounding their head against the table. They're, you know, they're, it's the greatest show they've ever seen, except this one person is not enjoying it. That sticks with you for years. They're dreams. <laughs> you, you'll, be, you'll be walking the dog. You'll be working out. And the face of that one person <laughs> never goes away. That one person, they're just not going to laugh. And that's probably happened to me in my career over all these decades. That's probably happened four or five times. And I just, those people... Uh, that's the one. And then you spend like a half an hour trying to get that person to laugh. Everybody is, and they don't laugh. They're not into it. They just don't like you at all. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> or they had a bad day. Who knows? And it just doesn't work. And I've always wanted to have the courage to go up and say, look, what, what, what was, <laughs> what's wrong with you? So that's one example. Now the um, seventh grade in the back of the bus, that was a harrowing, awful, nightmarish experience that I would not wish on anyone. However, it was one of those things where uh, I kind of steeled myself. I'm going to, I'm going to become a ventriloquist. I'm going to be someday. I'm going to be travel all over the world. I'm going to, you know, and so it became like a, a thing to overcome. It became like a, a rock to push up the mountain that Keith and Greg and Dean made fun of me in the back of the, of the seventh grade school bus. So that, that has always stuck with me. I write about it in, in my book because it was such it was, uh, they kind of were bullies and it was, it took a lot for me, but it was a big deal for me to overcome all that. And, and when you do overcome all that at some point, whatever you are doing, when you over, when you realize, oh man, I can still do what I want to do. It gives you a lot of confidence. And it's one of those character building things that are kind of trite, but for me, it really worked. Well, and you can say to those bullies, I mean, look at me now, I've made this entire career oh, out always, of this. Uh, Sam, I've always thought if I ever run into those guys again. Um, I write about it in my book because one of them, I'm not like a really big person at all, but I, for whatever reason, I went out for high school football. And one of them, Keith, was a year older than me playing when I was a freshman. And I remember distinctly, he was not ready for me on a, whatever play. And I was, uh, and he, I, you know, I knock him down 
And the coaches were yelling at him, you got knocked down by a freshman. And I remember getting up and thinking, yeah, you were, you know, two years ago, you were making fun of me on the bus. And now look at you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's always a big moment. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a crowd where things were just awful. And I, it, it, I can't think of it where I, I've had a, a show. In fact, here's a good example, Brian. Years ago, I was at this very famous club in, you know, out in California called the Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club. All the stars go there. And this is years ago when Gary Shandling was there. And this is before Judd Apatow had become um, the guy who produced uh, that 70s show and How I Met Your Mother and all that. So Judd Apatow is on the show with me, with Gary Shandling. And Shandling goes up and, and basically does an act, his act, making fun of my act. You know, but that's what that Gary Shandling. <laughs> I have nothing against it. But Judd Apatow backstage said to me, I've watched you 20 times now. Do you ever have a bad show? That's what, that's, and he was, you know, and I, I remember thinking to myself from his perspective, it it, it always, it must look as if, and which is what you want to do. It must look as if it's really easy, but the thing about it is, and of course he's reached a huge, he's had a huge career. So obviously he's learned, he's learned a lesson, which is you just keep working and keep writing jokes. You never stop. And you just keep, uh, uh, you know, piling on. I mean, I've got so many jokes. I've probably forgotten four hours of of comedy material that I was doing. In fact, when I watch old shows, Showtime specials from the '90s, you know, and stuff, I'm oh that bit. I forgot all about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're making yourself laugh with the material you've forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, well, and do you, do you ever bring back some of that stuff? If it, particularly if it becomes timely again. I mean, you know, everything from the 90s is back. So I feel like you can bring back. <laughs> Classic example, Sam, is during the swine flu from, that was in the 2000s sometime, Paco did a thing about the, with swine flu and came, came out, Senor, you need to wear a mask. I'm a swine. I have the flu. So I put on the mask and Paco says, uh, Senor, this is a good thing to wear the mask. And I said, yeah, it's a good thing. I don't want to get sick. No, 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 senor. You always need to wear the mask. We'll all be a lot happier if you will always wear a mask and never take that mask off. <laughs> <laughs> so, and when I saw that, I would, I, and so for during the pandemic, I was doing lots of uh, Zoom shows. I used that and I brought that bit back. And then a local newspaper writer where I live here in New Jersey actually put that in a column promoting my show or something about my show. He was talking about how I brought back this thing from this swine flu era <laughs> during, the, during the pandemic, which I thought he'd done, obviously done his homework. Yeah, perfect. Taylor, my last question for you maybe really isn't directed to you. It's directed to one of your friends, which is whether Ramon wanted to say hello to our audience and uh, let them know anything about his feelings about uh, getting to entertain on Disney Cruise Line. Ramon, do you want to say anything? Mm, are they hungry? No, they're, they're you know, they're, <laughs> they're not. Ramon is a pig. Uh-huh. So uh, let me, are you okay? Mm, more or less. And there's a problem? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, I don't want to bear our dirty laundry here with Sam and Brian, but what's the problem? Oh, what did you have for breakfast? I had bacon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, so that's, that's Ramon. Paco, you have anything to say? Sam is a lawyer? Yes, she is. She's a pig? No, she's not. Oh. <laughs> Romeo, do you want to, this here's my Romeo who is, um, you, if you, now, Sam and Brian have seen Romeo. You want to say hi? Hello. No, try to be nice. Hi, Sam. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi, Romeo. Hi, Romeo. How are you guys? We're doing Good. great. <laughs> <laughs>
So what's, what is your problem today? What do you mean? Well, you're just, well, look at me. Okay. You know, Romeo is, if you're not familiar, Romeo's a, he's a ventriloquist fit. What? He's an, he's a, he's a mannequin American. He is, uh, you know, he's, I can't move. I had a nightmare. What? I had a nightmare last night. Okay. You're going to share your nightmare with, with Brian and Sam? Yep. What was your nightmare? It was awful. Okay. I couldn't move. I was like, I was stuck in molasses. I was just, I was statutory. So you couldn't move? Yep. Are you sure it was a nightmare? Oh, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. For our audience out there, we a we'll post some pictures up. Uh, hopefully, Taylor can give us some. But we we will post some pictures up so you can see what these uh, these imaginary friends look like, and uh, they were hilarious to watch on board. And we had such a great time watching your show, Taylor. I'm going to pass you quickly over to Sam, who every show does a rapid fire round with our guests of just some of their Disney favorites out there to connect back with the Disney community a little bit. I'm just going to pass you off to Sam really quick for a quick round of rapid fire before we wrap up. So, Sam, you want to take it away? Absolutely. So, Taylor, the only rule of rapid fire is there are no rules. So I'm going to ask you for your favorites. Some of these are Disney general favorites and some of these are Disney Cruise Line favorites. Who is your favorite character from the Pixar or Disney universe? Um, I got it. I'm Buzz Lightyear by far. Oh, love it. What is your favorite Disney or Pixar movie? Right now is Encanto. That changes all the time, but Encanto is my favorite. So good. What's your favorite Disney song? Well, and that's right from We Don't Talk About Bruno, only we've changed the lyric. Sing it, Ramon. We don't talk about Paco. No. <laughs> <laughs> we do like a four minute version of that you guys in my live show I, I, you just missed it because I was writing it when I saw you on The Wonder but that's our favorite song right now we don't talk about Bruno and I do a version of it in my live show that's a blast oh my god We're, I'm going to have to find a video of it on YouTube I'm sure somebody has posted <laughs> I'll have to if it's not do you prefer to do family shows or adult shows on Disney Cruise Line it doesn't really matter but I have to tell you the sound of children laughing I, I live for that. And I live for my own children who are in their 20s. I love to get having children laugh is just the best. It's the best. You can't beat it. Favorite performance space on Disney Cruise Line? Well, the Walt Disney Theaters are just amazing. They are my my favorite. They might be my favorite spaces on the planet and especially on the fantasy and the dream. And I guess the wish has got some great rooms too. So hopefully I get to do those. Awesome. And what's your favorite ship of the Disney fleet? I, you know what? My favorite is probably the dream. And the reason I say the dream is because for about five years, I exclusively did the dream probably twice a month. Uh, Port Canaveral, NASA, Private Island, you know, Castaway Key, uh, Day at Sea and back. I probably did that for five years. Now, oh, I loved it. I loved that room. I loved, I loved the dream, the theater, the cast, the crew, the, everybody. It was just, it was great. What's your favorite show that you've done or favorite place that you've played? And this doesn't have to be on the cruise line. This can be anywhere. Well, you know, I, the, anytime you get to play the fame, the famous Carnegie hall in New York city was amazing. Uh, the Sydney opera house, I guess would, would be the, yeah, you know, to, to play those places that are so famous, it, we are etched in my mind forever. And that brings me to my last question, which is a bucket list performance. Where have you not performed? At, again, it could be anywhere in the world that you are just dying to perform. Uh, I, I, I'm desperate to work in Japan because I, from what I understand, the Japanese really enjoy ventriloquists and music, which is what I do. And I, 
this is something I've been after. I haven't been there yet. And I'm just desperate to go and, and work and perform. And I, you know, I know television in uh, Japan is just crazy. Comedy there is different than what we do. It's way over the top. I'd love to try and do it. And uh, hopefully it happens soon. Yeah, I think I think that audience would would adore you. Yeah, it's it just seems so cool. Well, Taylor, we really appreciate you taking time out of what I am sure is a busy schedule uh, with you and all of your friends to come on our show and share your experiences on board. Do you want to let folks know where they can connect out with you and learn more about your act and follow yeah, along? To find, uh, I haven't posted my schedule yet online coming out of COVID because I I am very busy. Um, I leave. I've got a gig in New Jersey tonight. Tomorrow I'm in Syracuse, New York. Wednesday I fly down to Jamaica and join a Disney cruise ship. I haven't posted any of that stuff yet just because everything is so crazy. But my website is taylormason.com. Or if you just Google me, you know, Instagram, you can find me on everything. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, TikTok. I'm, I'm available. I return all emails and uh, all, all texts and any questions people have. I'm easy to find. And my book has uh, gotten a great reviews. You can get it. I think that you can get the online download, a Kindle version or a reader version, e-reader for three bucks. It's called Irreversible by Taylor Mason. Awesome. Well, we will, we will make sure to link to some of those places uh, in our show notes for our audience. And Taylor, we just really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you so much. Brian and Sam, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for letting me be a part of a DCL duo. We had a blast hearing from Taylor about what it's like to entertain aboard Disney Cruise Line. He is such a fun guest, and we had so much fun recording that episode with him. Sam commented afterwards that she hadn't laughed that much recording a show in a long time. So really fun having him on. We really appreciate him taking the time out of his very busy schedule to come on our show and entertain all of us for a little while. So thank you, Taylor, for coming on, and we really hope you enjoyed that show. With that, I do have another five-star review I want to read on the air this week. This one comes from Julie SGB, who writes, Great for first-timers. This podcast has been great for us to learn about cruising on DCL since we will be going on our first cruise in August. This is a cruise that was postponed because of COVID, so we have been getting excited for it for a long time. We will also be first-time visitors to Alani on spring break, and we have really enjoyed the Alani episodes too. Well, Julie, SGB, thank you for that review. We're glad you love those Alani episodes. We love visiting Alani for the first time ourselves, so much so we went back only a few months later. So love those episodes as well. So thank you for that review. With that, I do want to thank everyone out there for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Podcast. You can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Also, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five-star reviews. We love reading them on the air each week and connecting with you, our listeners. So head over there, leave us one of those reviews so we can read them on the air. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo Vlog and Podcast Facebook group if you'd like to join a conversation with some like-minded DCL Duo fans and cruisers like yourself. If you'd like even more great content from the DCL Duo, you can also head over to dclduo.com, which has our blog, all of our most recent podcasts, and all of our vlog episodes linked to over there. If you'd like to access our vlog directly, you can head to youtube.com slash dclduo. If you'd like to help support the show, you can browse to patreon.com slash dclduo and join from one of our monthly support tiers. We really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there for helping to support the show. Or you can browse to touringplans.com slash travel to book your next fabulous Disney vacation. Just let them know the DCL Duo sent you. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney Family of Theme Parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night. Good night.